Scientists are moving a giant magnet from Brookhaven, that's on Long Island, to Fermilab uh, here near Chicago. And like, like we said, this magnet is giant. You can't just pack something like that up and ship it. Chris Pauly is online with us now. He is the project manager of something called Muon G2. So, Chris, uh, can we start here? What is this thing? Yeah, so this is a, it's essentially a large electromagnet. It's a, it's a coil. It's basically aluminum hoops, and inside these hoops there are windings of superconducting wire. And when you say large, how, how big is this thing? Well, it's 50 feet in diameter and only, you know, a few inches by a few inches or a, a foot and a half by a, eight inches so moving that is going to be quite an operation then. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's not a particularly heavy load. It, it only weighs 15 tons, so, you know, it's, it's less than you would see, for instance, on a car carrier traveling down the road. But because these coils are wound continuously uh, in these 50-foot diameter loops, you can't take it apart in any way. Uh, they're all epoxied in, and if you cut through them, you could never reconnect the special superconducting wire in a way that it would keep its, its properties. And it's also fairly fragile. We don't want this thing to deform in the sense that we don't want it to flex by more than a few millimeters during the transport. And it's going from where to where? So it's going from Brookhaven National Laboratory to Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory. So that's what, I guess, a little more than a thousand miles as the, the crow flies. Yeah, as the crow flies, that's right. But of course, as, as we bring this, it's closer to 3,200 miles. So, <laughs> so well... So what is the route it's taking? So it goes uh, south off of Long Island, and it travels down the eastern seaboard. You've got it on a like a freighter ship? It's on a on a barge, a okay. dedicated, dedicated barge, and it goes down around the Gulf and up through. There's a couple of uh, river routes you can choose. One is the Tom Bigby, and the other is straight into the Mississippi. Eventually, it comes up, and you snake your way through the Mississippi and into the Illinois Waterway, where it ends up in Lamont, Illinois. From Lamont, you pick it up back off the barge, you put it on the specialty transporter, and you travel through 30 miles of Chicago suburbs. So although the transport and the Brookhaven Inn was was difficult and had its own logistical difficulties, it was sort of the warm-up for the Chicago version. Oh, wow. So where is the, where is the magnet now? So the magnet right now is sitting on a barge, uh, and it's uh, the barge is en route. It pulled out of the slip this morning, and... That's really, really fun to watch it. We have a GPS locator on it, so anybody, including you, can go to a website and click on a button to see exactly where the GPS is at. Okay, we have a link to the website where you can track the progress of the magnet uh, through the ocean uh, up on our website right now. That's howtodoeverything.org. Um, okay, so you mentioned there, w- there were a couple little difficulties early on. Well, you know, there's logistical difficulties in understanding, you know, what signs have to come down and exactly what route you have to take. And there's a lot of planning that goes into it. And then a lot of preparation. So, you know, they have road crews out. When, when you transport something like this, you'll have a road crew out in front of it, taking down the signs and the things that are in the way. And then you'll have another crew coming behind that's putting it all back up. <laughs> that way you sort of minimize the disruption to traffic. Are you guys going to have to pay uh, tolls? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of axles on the truck, so it gets expensive. <laughs> wow. So when you so when you're, when you're traveling on the highway, are you going under like highway overpasses? Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, an example that the Chicago area will be very familiar with is the open road tolling booths. So if you imagine the open road tolling that you drive under with your vehicle, they're um, 
they're about the same width as the coils. In fact, there's a few of them that when you pass through them, we have inches to spare on either side wow. of this load. This is like, for people that don't know, this is like the, the big gate, basically, that you, you when you have the easy pass and you can just go right through. That's right. It's got four lanes and a couple of shoulders, and so that gives you uh, just enough room to squeeze the device through the through the giant gate. So at those points, do you have people get out and spot, or you just you just eyeball it and hope for the best? <laughs> Through most of the transport, actually, there's spotters out walking. Uh, it, it moves at walking speeds for large portions of the transport. Oh. And in fact, it's a, it's a really beautiful trailer that Emirates International uses. Every wheel on the trailer, you can steer independently. So you can crab walk the trailer even without a truck attached to it. And so it's, it's the ultimate in maneuverability for large loads. That would like really ruin your road trip if you were stuck behind that thing. <laughs> That's right, and that, that did happen on the parkway. You know, people would pull up behind it, and they'd be like, "Well, you can either follow the procession, or you can find a way around." This might be a hard thing for you to do, but I, I wonder if uh, you could imagine what a person who you know was completely unfamiliar with this was on the highway, and uh, they were behind this thing and saw it. What, what do you think they would think it was? They would definitely think it was a spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> it looks exactly like a spaceship. By the time it's been mounted on this giant frame and it's been shrink-wrapped and white and it's got lights hanging around it, it, you know, it looks like we're transferring it from Area 51. Well, Chris, this is fascinating. Uh, we're going to check in with you again probably later on when it's closer to arrival. Yeah, that would be great. That would be great. In fact, everybody should come out and, and watch it. It's uh, Having seen it on the Brookhaven Inn, I can tell you it's a... Uh, it's worth the trip to come out and watch it being taken on and off of the barge and watching the truck itself move. It's an it's a amazing sight. We got a question from Liz. She wants to know, how do you make the most out of spending a night at the airport? It's a good uh, July 4th travel question. Yeah, a lot of people are on the road right now visiting friends and family. But we're talking about the airport. That's why it's a good question. It has nothing to do with your friends and family on the road. Richard Dormant wrote a thing called How to Be a Man When Things Go Wrong. It's in this month's Esquire magazine. So, R- Richard, you're stuck at the airport. What do you do? Um, so if you're stuck in an airport, the first thing you want to do is, is listen. Um, the airlines are going to try to be as communicative as possible. And when they're telling you about you know, this, the terrible situation that you're in, and if they don't mention that they're going to be handing out hotel vouchers or making cots available, don't even bother getting online to ask for them. They're going to communicate everything that they have. So instead, you want to go establish a base camp. So what? can I just back up for a second? Yeah. I, this is something I've wondered about because I've been stranded and, and they say, no, it was weather. We can't give you a hotel room. But you're saying pretty much there's no negotiation there. No, I'm, I'm not no. going to win. No. I mean, as, as anybody who's, who's ever been in a position where they're sort of haggling or negotiating with somebody um, at an airline counter, you have very little leverage. So now you've talked... In your experience uh, being stranded in airports, have you gotten anything by talking to the airlines? No. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Wow. I will say this. My sister, she's a big crier. She she (laughs) cries at commercials, everything. And she was once uh, on her way to uh, Bogota, and she was uh, connecting through Miami, and she got bumped off the flight, and she was just pleading and pleading, and they said, sorry, there's nothing we can do. And she started bawling and uh, I think just stood there weeping. And they eventually put her on the flight in first class and, and she got on the flight. So that was, was that because they'd oversold the flight? Uh, why she got bumped? Yeah. Yeah, I assume so. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, when you're in a position like that where it's the, the airline's mistake, where they've, where they've done something to wrong you, then that's a whole a totally different conversation. Do you think it's worth trying trying to cry, though? If you if the flight, if it's in the question of um, the flight being oversold, where there, you know, there is a flight and people are flying on it, it's just not you, then absolutely. You should go up there and, you know, do whatever, whatever it takes, crying, schmoozing. Um, I mean, I wouldn't get hostile. You know what? We should just uh, leave this interview because I don't think right now and just learn how to cry. It seems like the only way. That's like the best way to do it, based on what Richard has said. I think people just ask me to their weddings because I'm good at organizing parties. I don't have any female friends. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, you're smiling. <laughs> it's just, it's just, this is the first time I've ever seen you look ugly. Happy. <laughs> I look ugly. No, I don't. I don't really look ugly. No. You're an ugly crier, but that's okay. No, I'm not really an ugly crier. Okay, maybe just, no. That was Kristen Wiig and Rose Byrne in the movie Bridesmaids. Now, Rose Byrne is the one crying. Uh, she's online with us now. Actually, she's currently walking around the streets of Paris talking to us on a cell phone. Just a bit lost, actually. Oh, no. It's this one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. Sorry, we're just walking and we're a bit lost. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Where, do you know where you're going or where your destination yeah, we're is? Headed back to our place. Yep. Yep. So, Rose, uh, let's say you're at the airport. You need to cry. What do you do? I would say um, access your inner tantrum of a child and not getting what you want, coupled with some really, really intensive, um, wide-eyed fear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the airport cry definitely. Everybody needs to have that. So just... I've done that and actually had not had success as well. Wait, what? What happened? She still didn't let me get on the plane. She like, ripped my ticket up in front of my face. Whoa. So it had just the opposite effect. You actually made things worse. Mm-hmm. She, she took pleasure in watching me fall apart. That's nice. <laughs> so, what, so what did you do? So then you were just done? I was stranded, yeah. So then I guess you might have had a real cry. Motivated. Well, Rose, thank you so much for your time, and hopefully uh, these techniques, we can try them, and they'll work better for us than they did for you. I only hope that I can help you get on your next flight that you missed. Rose Byrne stars in the upcoming movie, I Give It a Year. You may remember a couple podcasts ago, uh, Kylie had told us she listened to the show while weighing bees. Which struck us as an odd thing to do. So we wanted to call up Kylie and ask her about that. She works at a lab at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. So um, you said you uh, weigh bees. But first of all, why are you weighing bees? Well, um, most of our research is based on hive health. So an indication of whether or not uh, a hive had a successful season is determining their fat content. And so we'll weigh them before and after a fat extraction to see how many resources they were able to access for their own hive health. So what's, a, what's say, a skinny bee weigh? It's minimal. Probably a skinny bumblebee. Yeah. Probably 45 milligrams. Okay, and what about a fat bumblebee? Uh, probably 75 milligrams. <laughs> That's a big difference. Yeah, I mean, the queens can weigh, obviously, much more than the workers, but they they need it. They need the extra resources. So how do you get them on the scale, then? 
left. Well, unfortunately, all of our bees are dead, so they're a oh. lot easier to manage. <laughs> oh, I that see. makes sense. <laughs> yes. So, do we want honey uh, from fat bees or skinny bees? <laughs> Probably from some medium weighted bees, because that means they're not eating all of the honey that we would like to have for ourselves. That makes sense. So, you want bees that are kind of working in moderation. Correct. Not I mean, everything in moderation, bees. right? That's yeah. I always heard, speaking of fat bees, I always heard that the the anatomy of a bee is such that uh, when you look at it, like if the physics of it, it shouldn't be able to fly. That's something people say. That is something people say, and the the jury is out only because clearly they do fly. They <laughs> so do. True. Yes. It's um, yeah. The the hair on most bumblebees can be quite deceiving, so I think that's what tends to lead people astray. You mean they have more hair relative to their body? Their bodies are smaller. Yeah, they're much. They're much. They're by far the hairiest bee. Really? Was it? Can you pet? Can you feel it when you pet them? Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. (laughs) And you can pet them because they're dead. I pet them every day. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds super creepy. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you know what? It does. It does sound kind of (laughs) creepy. But that's okay. As somebody who cares about bees, when you get stung, are you more upset that you just got stung, or are you do you immediately start mourning the the bee that has died because it stung you? Well, and that's that's a common misconception. Not all bees die when they sting you. Oh, okay. However, uh, yeah, my my empathy immediately goes to the bee. <laughs> but then also, you also have then one more bee you can pet. <laughs> yes, I should have told that to the bee that stung me yesterday. Well, Kylie, this has been great. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you guys for chatting with me. This has been fun. We got a note from Duke. He says he listens to our show while he's working on the tundra in northern Alaska. Yeah, he says he's searching for endangered duck nests. Duke, these next 15 seconds are for you. So it written and so it say. Doing this work is not easy. These things don't want to be found. Yes. So you really have to. This is you, you, this is good searching music. It's good looking music. Then this this song isn't gonna scare any duck away. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of this song actually I found in my life attracts ducks. I don't want ducks, but right, they. Right. And I don't I don't know how you do it. Just just being around you because everywhere you go you're trailed by these. Adorable little ducklings. Actually, I have a duck call, and when I blow it, it plays this song because they're so attracted to it. We are still collecting your toilets of the week. Get them to howto at npr.org. Marjan is on the line with us now from New York. Marjan, tell us about your toilet. Um, so my friend and my sister and I went to Vinyl, which is a restaurant in Hell's Kitchen. And so I went to go um, use the bathrooms and I'd never seen this before, but they had four separate like handicap style bathrooms and each one had a different musician's name on the door. So I went into Cher, but there was also Dolly, Elvis and Nelly as an option. So did you choose Cher because you love Cher? I will admit, I, I would have gone into the Elvis one, except there's a sign hanging on the door that said, 
Elvis has left the building, uh-huh. which I assume meant that it was out of order. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but my second choice um, was share. Sure. Um, you know what? Can I? Can I? We have a couple more questions about this toilet. But can I? I was just thinking. What if we? Um, you know that share song, believe. Yeah. I think that was the first time I ever heard auto tune. I'm wondering. Oh, I think so too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's okay with you for the rest of our conversation about this toilet if we auto tune your <laughs> voice a little bit. Are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. Okay. Uh, so once you go in, there's a floor-to-ceiling mosaic of share space. Um, and then there's this glass-encased share Barbie doll in a, like a purple dress. And then overhead, you have, a, you have your own music source that's playing nothing but share songs. Wow. And it's like at the perfect volume that you want to sing along. But it's not so loud that it's annoying, like, club volume music. So what was it like uh, being in that bathroom? How did that enhance your your bathroom experience, knowing that you were surrounded by Cher? I think there was somebody waiting to use the restrooms. Like, when I went in, there was somebody behind me. And normally, I'm very conscientious about, you know, not, you know, wasting time and things like that. But I, I... I totally threw caution to the wind and was just like, you know what? This is my bathroom time. <laughs> and then, so I like spent, you know, the, the proper 25 seconds washing my hands. You know what? I think I want to try one more thing with this autotune. Can you say, uh, do you believe in life after love? And we'll see if it sounds like when Cher does it. Do you want me to try to sing it? I was afraid this was going to happen. Whatever you want. I mean, I don't want to, no pressure to sing, but if, if the spirit moves you. Well, you know, if it's auto-tune, it's probably better that I sing out of tune, right? Yeah, yeah. It'll all work out. <laughs> Do you believe in life after love? Yeah, it's pretty good. Wow. Well, congratulations, Marjan. You have this week's Toilet of the Week. Thank you. Thank you so much. That does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? I learned that there's a bathroom in New York that has a quartet of Cher, Dolly Parton, Elvis, and Nelly. The million dollar quartet, that's called. What do you think it would sound like if uh, they all sang together? We could just try playing four of their songs yeah. right now together. I bet that this will sound good. Duke, if you're listening to this in Alaska, turn it off because you're going to scare the ducks. Do you think that bees, when they find out they're on the heavier side, you think that they worry about it the way we do? They get paranoid, they go on diets? Yeah, because they got, uh, you can't, they all have horizontal stripes, which is not slimming. Yeah. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Lena Boyer or Boyer. Yeah, we don't know. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.